0: Welcome to Loaded and Rolling, I'm your host, Thomas Wasson. Now, it's one thing to buy a truck, hire a driver, and haul freight. It's a completely different thing to handle the challenges involved with keeping the trucks rolling. From tires, oil changes, and even the occasional mirror destroyed by a careless biking accident. Now, for the millions of over-the-road drivers operating today, there is an army of diesel technicians and mechanics standing by to help provide roadside to stranded drivers or repairs at a nearby shop. But due to changes in technology and processes, this isn't your grandfather's diesel engine. Where an analog system and a little bit of ingenuity could have kept them running, Today's modern diesel engine is just as much a cyborg as a workhorse, equipped with thousands of sensors integrated into onboard computers that monitor vehicle health and, with new technology, can even predict a breakdown thousands of miles in advance. Joining me to talk about what technology and data is doing to revolutionize the fleet maintenance space and how training and recruiting must evolve for the next generation, is jim rice vp of transportation at uptake a provider of industrial and fleet intelligence solutions jim has nearly a decade of experience in fleet management technologies having previously worked at athletics before joining uptake jim welcome sir
1: thank you thanks for having me today
0: excited to have you on good to get to talk to the folks at uptake as well it's been a minute but it's always fun because i remember through my last conversation it, based on the technology and where we're at it could probably tell if the truck is healthier than myself based on the predictive analytics
1: <laughs> that's that's the truth so, you know we there's there's technologies today that that really help you know understand prioritize and and surface up information of what to you know what uh what to put the most attention on if we're talking about personal health you know my my internal organs are probably worse uh you know need more attention than a, than a hangnail, but uh you still get the data that both are hurting so uh you know, that's, that's what we do from a, a vehicle perspective is, is really try to surface the right information to make sure you do the right stuff at the right time. And that's a really cool
0: thing because traditionally folks who are, uh, you know, working on the vehicles, technicians as well, it's something that you used to just kind of know what to replace and you generally knew because they're very analog, older systems. And now they're so complicated sure. that for many, it can feel a little daunting. Tell us about this diesel technician shortage. What's the situation for folks who may not know that there's another dimension, not just with a potential driver shortage, but a technician shortage.
1: Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I think across the board, and this is a a reflection of society as well, is there's just a lack of interest in the the newer generation of of workers coming in and skilled labor. You know, Handshake recently did a survey that year over year, there's been a 49% reduction in, in Gen Z's interest in skilled labor jobs. And so we have to do a good job of, of providing, you know, the right resources um, to to get folks excited about this type of world, and where it's not a daunting job, and where you don't need to to come in as day one as a diesel expert, or that there's there's tools and and ways to to bring you up and ramp you up pretty quickly. So it's it's a it's a job that's you know no no different than the the driver shortage. We got to recruit, we got to retain, we got to educate the new the new wave of technicians that are ready to come in.
0: And I think that's one of the big things you have to nail on the head. Uh, Gen Z is not very interested in trades. Uh, you can look at any Twitter thread and everyone says go into HVAC yeah. and plumbing. Uh, but, you know, from a technician standpoint, is this something where we're going to have to just see a lot more pay or is this changing the very nature of the job? Or what are some of the biggest hurdles that folks are currently dealing with when, you know, it's preventing us from grabbing more folks in the maintenance and diesel areas?
1: Sure, I think pay is pay is part of it, right? We're probably going to have to step up and understand that you know that the investment in folks to attract uh, you know talent is is going to have to come. But I also think it's putting technicians in the right position to be successful. And so by investing in technology, the new the new you know Gen Zs and the newer technicians they are all used to technology. This is not an antiquated thing. Everything that they do in their life and in their personal life and outside revolves around a screen, revolves around technology, around insights and AI and things of that nature. So what you're going to have to do is is invest in those types of, of resources to make someone feel comfortable about their new role and about getting into this field and saying, hey, I can be successful and make a career out of this because there's there's tools to help me along, right? And so it's not just reliant on old school manuals and OEM recommendations and things of that nature. If you invest in the, in the right things out there, it'll be a more attractive job for this generation. I think that's the biggest challenge
0: is getting the word out there because you said it with OEMs and manuals, it does feel like, OEMs are making more complicated systems, but there's not a really good job so far of explaining the opportunities for it and changing the view of the job, which is more of like, I'm going to be stuck covered in, you know, covered in uh, uh, various types of fluids trying to fix these things. And now instead I'm plugging in through a front bus terminal, looking at it, a very intricate diagnostic. Is there anything involving the training space? Um, Is this something where, are there currently anything to help the older workers who may not be, you know, used to it? Or is this something where the schools themselves were still playing catch up to the tech that's being made?
1: Probably a little bit of both, right? I think there's there's schools that are involved that are playing catch up, right? And, and you know, even our friends over at Decent Laptops had a nice, you know, announcement this week about a, a technician university and things of like that. So I think you'll see, you know, continued innovation and, you know, uh, improvement in trade schools, and what that does is that allows you to reach out and, and start recruiting at an earlier age at the high schools, at the, you know, uh, different types of programs, work programs that are available. You're going to have to invest in that type of uh, in those types of resources to make it a, a, an attractive thing to, to join one of those schools and, and get trained up. On the flip side, there's also, you know, becoming an increasing world where virtual technicians are good. So maybe it is a, a world where, you know, somebody has been wrenching on trucks for the last 15, 20 years, and they're they're tired of, of you know, covered head to toe in grease like you mentioned. Um, and now there's, there's ways to do some diagnostic and virtual troubleshooting to where then you can communicate with somebody that is, you know, working on the trucks, but they're still providing valuable experience. So, you know, there's a, a transition phase that we're seeing where, you know, a virtual mechanic and a breakdown center and things like that. And really walk through some of the technicians about what to do and what to work on. So we're not spending too much time kind of chasing around, you know, problems on the truck that, that are really relevant at that time. So virtual technicians is a is a is an area I expect to see some pretty good growth in uh, in the in the coming years. I think that's something like that's it's almost like leaving money on the table. A virtual technician sounds great. A lot of these
0: folks who have the skills and the knowledge are looking to retire. You offered me a job yeah. where I can make even a decent amount chilling out from home and I'm just on call I can only imagine that we'll see a growth in that because now you're at a shop you've got a newer younger workforce it's like call Bob you get Bob on the phone hey I'm plugging it in here's my bus reading here's everything else what should I
1: do Bob and then Bob doesn't have to Bob can now help 20 techs instead of just one in the shop and, and think about it as a career pathing path for that technician that is working on it, right? There's aspirations right there to say, hey, if I put in my time and I get good at this, there it is light at the end of the tunnel where I can do this virtual technician. So as of before, it's, hey, if I'm a mechanic, I'm going to be doing this for the next 20, 25, 30 years, and I'm going to be in the shop and I'm going to do the same things. That's changing, right? And so if you can create an environment that shows career path, that's huge for Gen Z, right? Everybody wants to be able to say, where am I going to be at in five years, 10 years, not just where it's at today. I think as you adopt those types of things, you'll be able to, to recruit a, a broader set of, of folks that are interested in this. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted
0: auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall. Less work, more clean. Terms apply. So let's talk about some of the equipment as well. Uh, The technology behind it. We've got a situation where we know with the the maintenance of the technician folks that we do need a lot, but let's talk a little bit about the evolution of the Class 8s, the tractors themselves. Because I think that for your average consumer, your average person, you're still just imagining an 18-wheeler like a Peterbilt that looks like it's from the 80s on the road. You don't understand that under the hood, there's been a lot of changes.
1: Tons, right? And everything from electric vehicles to CNG to diesel to gas of all classes and all sizes of vehicles, there's a lot more to know. And and I think what we have to do is, is be really good at saying you don't need to know everything at all times. You just need to know where to get the resources to understand it, right? And try to tackle it all and have it all up in the think tank is going to be tough for anybody. And so having good tools and resources to help diagnose and know where to go um, put the attention to is critical.
0: And looking at the landscape, uh, uptake is one of the great providers in terms of predictive maintenance. Uh, What is the situation right now in terms of not only those who are producing it with all the sensors, but also are we seeing a situation where it's bifurcated, where maybe I'll just make all these things and it's up to you to figure it out?
1: Yeah, I think you're seeing a little bit more interest in the, from the OEMs to to provide a better level of service um, and information on their trucks. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, traditionally OEMs are are still in the hardware business, right? They make and manufacture trucks and things like that. So the software and the data science and the AI that comes with being truly predictive is tough, right? And and so somebody like Uptake, we've been doing this for 10 years on all different types of assets. It's a really, really, you know, good head start in the space. But I think you'll see time and time, you know, over over time, more and more partnerships with either companies like us and OEMs or OEMs trying to get into this space. But, you know, the the critical part about predictive in nature is data sets and the amount of data that you have to be able to get ahead of these things. It cannot be a knee-jerk reaction with a very small, you know, sample size of data. So it's... It's critical that you know teams build up those databases and apply applicable models to larger sets as opposed to you know early entries. It's gonna to be tough to move the needle for a while. I feel like there's so much
0: data. It came from US Express, did a few years there. Uh, you know, when I managed Fleet's 55 to even 300 trucks, it was a PM report. You would just, it turned to sure. color, and if it turns red, you better bring it in. This is back, I finished in 19, so hopefully it's better color-coded now uh, with nice Swift and whatnot. But. Um, That mindset, this is what I'm kind of curious about. For fleets and customers who are trying to adopt this tech, um, what are the things that they're most interested in learning about instead of moving from every six months it needs to get looked at or every year it needs to get checked out? What are they asking for? What should we
1: be looking for uh, with this new technology? Helping people prioritize um, is is critical. And I'll I'll run you just a couple of stats here, but without trying to be too uh, numbers-oriented here. but we did a, a recent analysis of six months of, of fault codes on a fleet of ours. That, that's one of our customers. that had 5,400 assets, right? And over six months, they fired almost 900,000 individual fault codes, right? So that's 27 trucks per uh, fault codes per truck every month. And that is just extremely noisy, right? So it's almost, you know, close to a million fault codes that are firing in six months. How do you sort through that? How do you get through the noise and understand what to work on and things of that nature? What well, uptake did is we went through and said, hey, prioritize this. We fired off 1,600 insights. We went from 860,000 to 1,600 insights to say, hey, these are the things that you need to be working on, right? And those insights are you know, a combination of fall code A plus fall code B plus fall code C equals an insight. And so what we're doing is trying to really help people focus and prioritize where to work, what truck to work on, and when to work on it, right? Everything needs to be pulled in right away. So, you know, you can look at things that have a medium level severity and say, hey, there is a PM coming in. It's supposed to be in the shop in 10 days. Let's just make sure we address it at that 10 day mark when it's in so that it doesn't come back in two weeks. later." So prioritization and organization of the data that's coming off the ECMs these days um, is, is critical.
0: And I'm kind of curious because from my experience running fleets, uh, the larger fleets, I didn't really experience it, but the smaller ones I did, which is uh, particulate, you're you're deaf, you're having to do regions that's getting clogged up. I wonder if one of the gateways for one of the biggest low hanging fruits that fleets are having is the drivers are just running them. And with these, you know, uh, NOx and all the other EPA guidelines having to have emissions control, the emissions control devices are having more problems. Uh, causing the issues. I always wondered if that was something that was like the lowest hanging fruit or if, if you look through all those fault codes, was there like one thing that drivers just kept doing that, you know, your casual observer be like, man, I need to work on that.
1: Yeah. After treatment, you hit it on the head. That's our number one thing. It's the number one value prompt. You can identify, you know, is it a driver running it incorrectly and not finishing out a, a regen or things like that? Or is it truly uh, an issue? one of the things that we have seen in in you know especially since covid is the uh, uh, reliance on aftermarket parts and so what we're seeing is a lot of knock sensors and things like that that aren't from the OEM that are aftermarket or third party are not as quite uh, you know not not as good a quality and so you can't run them as long as the sensors are failing sooner uh, they're presenting more issues and so it's it's a trade-off you can get the parts they may be cheaper but they're not going to last as long and so it's changing some of the PM scheduling mm-hmm. and things like that but really, you know, if we look at, you know, what do our customers experience the most, it's it's really around after treatment engine and emissions uh, type of issues that, you know, can cause you to, to derate. You're on the side of the road, you're, you don't know, need to get a tow, things of that nature. Those are all really, really impactful to the business in a negative way. I've had it happen before. It's all fun and games till it bricks itself
0: because the driver didn't go fast yep. enough to burn it off. And then you're a six hundred to eight hundred dollar tow bill later. It's not a fun time. Curious forward thinking here, we hear a lot, EPA guidelines, regulations, and whatnot in terms of increasing the amount of aftermarket, you know, uh, NOx removal. Um, Looking at the future, is this something where we will need more predictive analytics? Because uh, my assumption is we're just going to have two installed instead of one, and we're just going to have twice as many problems, but we will have less emissions.
1: Yeah, I think anytime you're you're investing in and in getting ahead of a problem before it becomes a sidelining problem, you're you're in good shape. So I think, you know, the 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 interesting part of, of how this technology will evolve is can you get down to you have 12 hours left, right? And things like that. And nobody's really at that point because there's so many outside factors in terms of ambient air temperature, what you're hauling, load size, things of that nature, to where that's kind of the <clears throat> the evolving phase. But in reality, Yes, we're we're gonna need to get better at predicting things before they happen. Fault codes by nature are reactive. Hey, you have a problem with this? Well, yeah, gee, thank you. I'm on the side of the road. I'm very well aware that there's a problem. Um, and so it's it's analyzing sensor data. It's really trying to understand. Hey, historically, if you see this over the course of five to seven days, you're gonna have a problem. And so when do we when do we alert you all about that pro- about that problem that's upcoming?
0: And I wonder if this also ties into the diesel tech sh- uh, shortage and some of the cultural challenges is, are there instances, at least from customers and feedback, where they're getting the data, they're showing they need to get these things changed, but are they ever getting pushback from the local shops, third-party vendors saying, no, nah, I've done this forever. I don't need to do this. How are you getting this?
1: Yeah, we o- we oftentimes have customers that that use third-party uh, maintenance and we'll they'll bring a truck in and say, hey, uptake says this is a problem. And they'll go, It's not, right? I just hooked up my diagnostic machine and it's not there, right? And so it is a a foundational education piece for anybody that's working on the trucks, whether it's in-house or outsourced maintenance. If you are going to use a technology like this, it's worth sitting down with your maintenance provider and saying, hey, this is what we're doing. This is how the system works and helping educate anybody that's involved in your trucks, not just your own internal staff. That's what I'm thinking of. Opening the doors, fleet
0: customers, fleets obviously want to keep their equipment running, but for Uh, OEM parts makers for third-party parts makers and for like your loves, TAs, travel centers. Ari, is there any anecdotal evidence that we're seeing some of them start to adopt the predictive maintenance and then maybe having a repository where they look at an uptake data and say, well, I fixed this many trucks. Maybe I should upsell a customer this part because I know statistically it's gonna fail based on how many other trucks I've fixed. And it's a good source of revenue for them,
1: right? And so if you're if, if I'm a loves or if I'm a dealer, dealer and things of that nature, right, you're trying to earn that repeat business of whether things fail, you don't want them to go down the street or leave city and hey, it breaks down in the next town over and you lose out on some of that revenue, right? And so you are seeing this kind of buzz and interest from not only the end fleets, but providers, service providers, um, leasing companies, you know, that are leasing out trucks or rental companies they need to know what's going on so that they can better service their fleet in real time.
0: I'm kind Keep of Keep that furious. revenue in house. Yeah, the autonomous space brings to mind as well. I'll see a lot of the folks we're looking at, uh, regardless of the level, they're typically installing them in the mirrors or they're doing it a bar, right? I wonder if anyone started collecting data on how many times it goes out or if the bar gets hit by like a bird or a rock because I know that Uh, It's one thing to drive an autonomous vehicle and have a driver, but it's another thing when you get your mirrors taken off, backed into it. Is that something Uptake's looking into as well, or are we still in the early stages of just convincing existing fleets to like pay more attention than just bring it in once a year?
1: Yeah, we have an R&D effort into electric and autonomous vehicles, but the mass adoption isn't quite there yet. Where I think you're going to see in the next probably handful, you know, one to two to three years, is OEMs and you know the manufacturers of these types of vehicles really own the the maintenance on that? There's not a fleet that's going to adopt enough um, to to bring in a specialized technicians in in the very short term. I think over time it's going to be like the you know when diesel first became relevant and you know all all the difference you go from manual uh, or you know from autom- manual to automatic transmissions things like that that created the new space and the new skill set needed. We're not seeing that in mass across the autonomous or the electrical or electric vehicle space just yet. We know it's there. Our data science teams have access to data. We collect some of it, but it's not enough yet to try and uh, you know put a, a major initiative on it. But it's coming. That's what I'm excited to keep an eye on. Looking at training as
0: well in partnerships. Um, you know, uptake sure. is uh, has tons of data. You have the analytics. Is there any more interest from large schools or technician schools? I know there's not as many as there should be about adjusting their uh, workflow, or is it still right now we're using outmoded stuff or just maybe provided by the OEM on like what basic
1: things to do? Are they catching up, at least in the training aspect? In in theories and in concept, yeah. yes. In execution, not yet. Right. And so I think if you look at overall, the predictive maintenance space is still fairly fairly new. Right. And the the majority of the operators have been end fleets themselves. There is initiatives about education and training with schools and resources. And you know we're, we're we're making some really nice inroads with with OEM partnerships as well. That says, hey, how do we update and educate the materials that are going out to the folks? Right. And and I think that's a big thing is, is uptake doesn't always need to be the ones to 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 be at the forefront and our names on everything. You know, we can partner and, and we do partner behind the scenes to say, hey, the information that you're spitting out that's coming from an OEM is getting stronger, better, and more accurate. And that's a big business model of ours is to say, hey, we can help supplement existing programs, right? There, there are OEMs program out there. Can we help make those stronger uh, with our data, with our analytics? And that's really what you're trying to, you know, starting to see in the background is, A lot of that stuff is happening. It may not be on the public and on the surface yet, but those discussions and that uh, sharing of information is is very prevalent today. I would
0: love to eventually get the information that would give me, uh, you know, statistically how likely if I bought a used truck by year that I can get out of it. That's the. As exciting as a buyer information, Um, I'm curious about adoption rates. Uh, You know, got about three-ish minutes left here. Uh, Large fleets versus small fleets and maintenance. I came from a large fleet; they had their own shops, they had their unified roadside, they had vendors, they had an entire infrastructure. And then when I went to a small fleet, it was me and an Excel spreadsheet. (laughs) What are the adoption rates uh, currently, and what are some of the insights you're getting as you're talking, you know, to customers and trying to?
1: Uh, get them to adopt this new way of, of thinking instead of being reactive, being proactive. Sure. On the large scale enterprise fleets, it's where does this go into the workflow? Like, where is this? You know, if I fire an insight, who gets it at what point and where, right? And so is it a virtual tech who looks at it and then creates a work order for the, ground sh- the level shops? Is it a distribution center that, you know, you have a shop manager and he manages the system? What we often find is in the large organizations, techs don't even know what uptake is or they're not logging in it's being sent into their existing workflow system, right? And so then it creates a work order at a TMT or an asset works, things of that nature to where, you know, it just is kind of a seamless saying, Hey, work on this. This is, this is a new work order, right? And so that's on the enterprise side is really finding out where and when to insert um, our data into the existing process. You hit it right on the, right on the head on a small fleet. We actually just signed up a fleet today that says, this is wonderful. They have two shop people, they get in it. They're going to look in every day and say, hey, this is the most severe insights. You know, these are the highest level ones. Let's make a plan for those on an individual truck basis. right?" And so you have a little bit more control. They're in the system and actually working it because they are more hands on. right? It's a, it's a smaller group when you have a fleet of 100 trucks. And so the various levels um, of fleet and how their operations are going to dictate when and how you use our information. I like your point here especially
0: in their existing workflow because large fleets a lot of casual observers and people I talk with they don't understand that they have their own home brew so half your battle is i gonna get yeah. like an API connection where I'm gonna fit in what I'm gonna do so you know looking at a uh, looking at movement here what's the sweet spot right now for fleet adoption is it there one to five truck owner ops starting to pay more attention or are we still going to keep an eye out? on the largest fleets and maybe it'll trickle down in terms of adoption for predictive analytics. Yeah, it's definitely
1: kind of a top-down initiative. You know, we're not in at the older operator level yet. We've signed, uh, you know, we have a a handful of customers in that 20 to 50 vehicle range. Um, And they're really excited when you get to it. But, you know, there's a lot of dependencies there and some older trucks that don't get sensor data and things of that nature to where you need a good data source to power predictive. And so, you know, the the enterprise is definitely kind of top down, you know, top and moving down almost the way cameras were. You know, I kind of grew up in the, in the camera space and Linux was very enterprise heavy to start and it kind of moved downstream over as people get more comfortable with the technology. So I think cutting edge, bleeding edge companies um, are going to lead the, the foray uh, into this space. That could be a small, you know, small market uh, type of company at the outset, but primarily you're going to see the adoption and, you know, kind of mid and enterprise size fleets for sure.
0: We'll keep an eye on the developments. Uh, Jim, if folks want to more learn more about Uptake, if they're interested in signing up or just getting more information, what's the best way to reach y'all?
1: Yeah, just uh, go to uptake.com. There's a lot of good information, case studies, press releases about how people are using our system. There's a, uh, you know, fill out your interest form. Uh, find me on LinkedIn. Uh, feel free to reach out to me directly, but we would look forward to, to any discussions. Absolute pleasure, Jim. Thanks so much for your time, sir. Appreciate it. Thanks. Have a great day may wrap for today's show but we
0: also have a newsletter as well if you want to check this out it'll be uploaded to apple uh spotify and where you may find other podcasts every tuesday 1 p.m of course you can catch us live or on youtube and linkedin if you want to sign up for the newsletter we have one as well comes out thursdays at 2 p.m freeways.com slash loaded and rolling want to find the folks at uptake check them out uptake.com as well wonderful people Keep an eye out on developments. That's a wrap for today, though. Join us next week, Tuesday, 1 p.m. We'll do it live.